from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Jonathan Corricas showing how Hamas has used hospitals to aid its terrorism. We'll be joined by CBN's Chris Mitchell live from Israel in just a moment. And I'm not sure what was more disturbing about China's Communist Party dictators Xi Jinping's visit to San Francisco. President Biden's apparent inability to see the threat China poses to the U.S. or corporate America. Support for our men and women in uniform. A vote for this bill is a perpetuation of the woke policies undermining our military, breaking down morale, driving down recruiting, and now undermining the civil liberties of the American people by not reforming FISA. That was President Biden last night after his meeting with the communist dictator. But the president is not alone. Corporate America seems unfazed by China's horrid human rights record. CEOs of BlackRock, Apple, Pfizer, and others dined with Harris, who serves on the House Appropriations Committee, will be joining me momentarily to discuss that. And speaking of battles and negotiations, Republicans continue with their stance that any additional spending for Ukraine must come with legislation to secure our southern border. The Senate cannot claim to address major national security challenges without a solution to the one we're facing on the southern border. We can't pretend to be serious about threats facing America and our allies without fixing the broken asylum, broken system that lets 10,000 illegal aliens cross our border in a single day. Of course, that was Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell on the Senate floor earlier today. He, along with many other congressmen and senators, have been voicing this message loudly. And has the Biden administration, along with other Democrats as a whole, finally absorbed the reality, signaling a new willingness to negotiate? Montana Congressman Matt Rosendale and I will be talking about that a little bit later in the program. And as expected, the House voted yesterday to formalize the impeachment inquiry for President Biden, launching the next step in this investigative process. We have a simple question I think a overwhelming majority of Americans have. What did the Bidens do to receive the tens of millions of dollars from our enemies around the world? So it's very clear the White House has been uh, obstructing our investigation. I think the message sent today is very loud and clear. We expect them to comply. Well, that was House Oversight and Accountability Committee Chairman James Comer yesterday after the vote. And despite what's come out from the investigations by House Republicans so far, Democrats and the legacy media that backs them continue to sound like a broken record. They're insisting that the House investigators lack any evidence whatsoever of President Biden's involvement in the schemes that netted his family millions from overseas actors. There's been zero evidence, zero evidence. You can ask me about engagement and what the president has done with his family in conversation, but there's no evidence. 
There's, wait, wait, but there's no evidence. There is no evidence that the president has done wrongdoing. There's none, absolutely none, none. And that is just a fact. I told you, it's a broken record over and over and over. That, of course, was White House Press Secretary Corrine Jean-Pierre earlier today. Congressman Scott Perry and I will talk about that evidence and where this investigation is headed a little bit later in the program. And the Supreme Court announced yesterday that they will make a decision regarding restrictions of chemical abortion pills this term. This is the first time a major abortion case has reached their docket since Roe v. Wade was overturned last year. Eric Baptist, director of litigation for the Alliance Defending Freedom, will be joining me in a little while to discuss the bad science that led to the FDA approving these dangerous pills and what the Supreme Court might say about it all. So we have a packed program lined up for you today. The website, of course, is TonyPerkins.com in case you miss any portion of today's program or if you'd like to go check out some past shows, it's all there for you as well as a lot of great resources. So be sure to visit that website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, let's jump into today's program in greater detail. Earlier today, the House passed a watered-down version of the National Defense Authorization Act. They're sending this version, uh, which, uh, by the way, it, it does not stop the Pentagon's illegal abortion travel policy. But nonetheless, this thing is going to President Biden's desk for signature. There were 73 Republicans voted against this measure. And this is one of those bills that uh, is looked upon as a must-pass bill. But there are a lot of problems in this. There are the, not only the travel abortion policy, but there were also taxpayer funding of transgender surgeries and, and the horrible extension of the FISA Authorization Act, which includes warrantless spying on American citizens. But the fact that 73 Republicans voted against this, I think, highlights the many numerous flaws that are in this bill. So does this uh, offer some sort of preview of the appropriations battles that will be forthcoming in January? Well, joining me now to discuss where we're going from here is Congressman Andy Harris, and he does himself serve on the House Appropriations Committee. He represents the 1st Congressional District of Maryland. Dr. Harris, well back, welcome back to Washington Watch. Always great to see you. Great to be with you, Jody. Well, listen, I've got to just tell you, it's extremely disappointing that this version of the NDAA passed. You guys passed an incredible version back in June. And I just want to start by personally saying thank you uh, for your stand and for your vote against this. Uh, just give me your general thoughts. Well, look, uh, we have a woke military. That's the bottom line. And uh, I, look, I guarantee our enemies are not paying for transgender surgery and transgender medical therapy in their military. I can guarantee you that, Jody, because they're actually very serious about defending uh, their countries and, in the case of Russia and China, actually being offensive powers. Uh, I, we just can't trust the woke military. Look, we tried to get the transgender surgery out of the bill. Uh, they even didn't ban drag queen shows on bases in the bill. Uh, you know, the, they claim the military has a new policy against it. But until you make it law, as you know, the military can change their mind any day. Absolutely. And I want to get to that because you mentioned all these things that were not taken out of this uh, 
version of the NDAA, and all this is setting up a huge budget battle coming up in January, and I want to get to that because you're on appropriations, but before we get to that, let me add another issue and get your opinion on the uh, FISA issues uh, and and all the opposition that we have with FISA. Where Where is that battle going from here? Well, unfortunately, again, another reason I voted against this was it was what I'd consider a clean FISA extension for four months. And under current law, that means basically the court in, in early April could make another one-year determination and extend the current FISA policies into 2025. Look, these FISA policies have to end. Over 250,000 Americans were illegally surveilled without a warrant. Uh, and look, we don't even know who they are, but the, the, the FBI has admitted that they have, they have improperly surveilled 250,000 Americans. We have to change the rules about this. Uh, and again, we want to do it keeping ourselves safe from foreign terrorists. That's a different story from warrant, warrantless surveillance of Americans. Uh, again, it was, it was just not the right way to do this. We should, we should have passed a reform bill. We should have uh, d debated a reform bill and done it that way. Uh, I'm afraid we just kicked the can down the road and, and this can because we didn't specifically uh, require warrants for spying on Americans under, under the FISA Act, uh, I'm afraid we didn't do the job we should have done. Well, I saw an article where you were quoted heavily earlier today talking about this very issue. I think most people who are following this believe that this battle is going to come back up in, in January, and uh, if need be, you can correct it then. But what you pointed out is that this actually enables an entire another year of warrantless searches on American citizens, and, and that's chilling. This is something that absolutely, is there anything that can be done to stop this uh, from lasting another year? Well, look, I don't, Jody, I don't think so at this point, because uh, once you pass this extension and uh, again, kick it, kick the can four months down the road, what's the incentive to do any reforms? Uh, it's unclear that a, that a majority of, I think a majority of Congress wants reforms, but look, our plate's full. We still, we not only have to do this year's uh, appropriations bills in the spring, we have to start next year's appropriations bill. So we have our plate is full. I'm afraid that they're just going to kick this can further down the road past the next election. And unfortunately, an FBI that we can't trust not to spy on Americans will still have the authority to do it. Wow. Absolutely chilling. Uh, Congressman Andy Harris from Maryland. Let me uh, transition, if we can, because you are on the Appropriations Committee and so many battles. What this whole NDAA, all this is happening right now is just setting up an enormous battle come January. What do you think we can expect as that battle comes into reality here in just a few weeks? Well, you know, Jody, we would get a second crack at doing things like, you know, taking out funding for transgender surgery and medical therapy, uh, you know, making sure that you can't spend any money having a drag queen show on a military base. We could do it in the appropriations bill this spring, uh, but I'm afraid that, uh, you know, this horse is out of the barn. I mean, the, the bottom line is I just don't think our House negotiators think uh, that that's an important issue. As a physician, I think it's a very important issue because what you'll be doing is you'll be basically requiring uh, military physicians to participate in these sex change 
uh, whether it's a surgical procedure or medical therapy, that they believe is against their personal conscience, their personal moral stand. And uh, we should never do that to our men and women, our uh, health care providers in the military. And I'm afraid that's what we're doing. We fought for conscience protection uh, for abortion not to be done in the military for this very reason for decades. And now we're allowing it to happen with uh, transgender surgery and therapy. Do you think, last question as we wrap this up, do you think the real issue is that we don't have enough in our party to to fight or is it that they just uh, felt like right now there was not enough time to fight before christmas and all the issues right now and they, they may be putting off now uh, you and i both uh, for the last eight years i heard it every time now's not the time to fight we'll fight later but there does seem to be a more unified presence among the gop right now do you think there will be a fight in january Look, uh, Jody, I don't I just don't think we have a critical mass of people who are not only willing to, to uh, vote correctly on the issue, but to draw a line in the sand on the issue. That's what we had to do. There was no reason that we had to pass the National Defense Authorization Act, the NDAA, before the holidays. There really isn't. In past years, we've taken until January and February to do it. Again, we haven't even passed the appropriation bill for this fiscal year, so we really didn't need to do this NDAA now. We should have drawn a line in the sand, gone back to the drawing board, and done it right. Congressman Andy Harris from Maryland, thank you so much for joining us on Washington Watch. Let me just personally wish you and your family a very Merry Christmas. Thanks for joining us on Washington Watch. Same to you, Jody. All right, friends, coming up is the Biden administration finally coming around to accepting the reality that they're going to have to fix the southern border if they want any money for Ukraine. Congressman Matt Rosendale will join me to discuss that. Stay tuned. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold 
or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Jody Heiss, sitting in this evening for Tony. Thank you for joining us. And uh, we're going to, to swap. Uh, Congressman Rosendale is going to be with me here in just another few moments to discuss securing the southern border before further funding for Ukraine. And now we're going to have Congressman Scott Perry from Pennsylvania join me to talk about the peach impeachment inquiry of President Biden. As you well know, last night that vote took place to move towards a, an impeachment inquiry. And this comes as multiple House committees are continuing their investigation into the Biden family, collecting literally millions of dollars from foreign businesses and how this may have compromised the president. Well, last night's vote, keep clear, was not for impeachment, but to formalize the impeachment inquiry. What this does is open the investigative doors that previously had been stonewalled by the White House and the uh, Biden Department of Justice. So what comes next in all of this? Uh, joining me now to discuss this is Congressman Scott Perry. As I mentioned, he serves on the House Oversight and Accountability Committee, which is leading the charge on all of this. He also serves on the House Foreign Affairs Committee, as well as the House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee. He's from the 10th Congressional District of Pennsylvania. Congressman Perry. Welcome back to Washington hey, Watch. Great to have you. It's great to be with you, and you're absolutely right. The impeachment inquiry is essentially formalizing the investigation so that the agencies and individuals who have refused to give us information thus far can be further compelled to do so. It's essentially telling the world and these agencies, individuals, organizations that we have probable cause to investigate and it adds weight to the request, whether it's a subpoena or otherwise, for the information, whether it's printed, uh, whether it's electronic, whether it's a deposition, any of those type of things. Because in the past and for the past uh, year, these individuals, particularly the Bidens, but not necessarily restricted to them, but generally folks related to the Biden business dealings, but including institutions, including financial institutions, and certainly including institutions related to the government. So I'm talking specifically about the Department of Justice, the FBI, the uh, the IRS, and likely as well the CIA have 
been disinterested and unwilling to provide information to the Oversight Committee or the Judiciary Committee so that we can get to the bottom of this, find the facts, make an assessment, and move on one way or the other. And the American people deserve to know. And we certainly shouldn't have these agencies running interference for the president and his family. And so this impeachment inquiry gives power to to move forward on this. It seems like the legacy media is just copying and pasting their message that Republicans have no evidence. What evidence is there? Well, yeah, they say there's no evidence, and and uh, they just, like you said, they just keep repeating it. If it weren't for all the evidence that they just disregard, the 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 20 shell companies. Understand, a shell company is a company that exists for no reason other than to move money through it. Why would the Bidens have these 20 shell companies? The 170 plus suspicious activity reports, not to mention that you said millions of dollars, but it's literally in the tens of millions of dollars that have come from foreign, either foreign, uh, well, foreign entities, foreign individuals, some linked to enemies of the United States of America, particularly the Communist Party of China, into the Biden orbit. And then where you have literally checks going directly to Joe Biden. And remember, let's remember, and I know you know this, Jody, but maybe your audience doesn't. I mean, we've caught the president himself in multiple lies, as he has said on the debate stage against President Trump, that, uh, that he had no involvement whatsoever. And, of course, the story has changed on multiple occasions, including yesterday when his, when his son said that he had no financial involvement. Now, I'm not sure exactly what that means, but I can tell you this. Um, you know, they're saying it's not evidence when the president receives a $200,000 check or a $40,000 check and it says loan on it. But I guess they wouldn't consider it evidence unless the Instead of saying loan on the memo of the check, it said bribe from the Communist Party of China or bribe from from somebody in in Ukraine or one of the other countries, Romania, one of the other numerous countries that this operation was occurring in. So there is a lot of evidence. And, and I will tell you this, Jody, we serve together and you know what a congressional salary, uh, you know, Look, we're not going to complain about it. I'm certainly not, and I know you wouldn't either. But it's the same salary that the president made for years and years and years, yet he lives in multi-million dollar uh, locations in his home state, and there's really no way to explain how you afford that kind of lifestyle on a congressional salary. Certainly you didn't live that way, and I know I don't live that way. Now, you know, maybe he got gifts and so on and so forth, but those gifts, as you know, Jody, would be taxable to anybody else. And so, you know, maybe there's who, – who knows where it could end. But uh, – and, and, of course, his son just got, uh, I think, nine indictments on the West Coast for tax evasion. And, and so we just need to know. The American people know, need to know whether their president was involved in this at what level. And, and as long as they're going to not be forthcoming with that information, the longer it's going to take. So our time is wrapping up. What what can we expect next in this ongoing investigation? Where is this going from well, here? Well, I think what you can expect, unfortunately, to compound Hunter Biden's legal problems is is uh, now he's going to be held in contempt of Congress. I'm sure we're going to issue that through a vote. Now, whether the attorney general does anything about that, remember that uh, 
that uh, Steve Bannon and Peter Navarro were arrested under those conditions. Now, that wasn't even for a duly constituted committee. This is a real committee in Congress that's going to issue this contempt citation. Uh, but other than that, we're going to hopefully the other folks that we have subpoenaed, President Biden's brother and other business associates, Eric Schwerin, will uh, be subpoenaed. We'll be bringing them in to, to get their testimony to see if we can put the pieces together to this vast puzzle of finance and uh, and money hiding and moving around that we have seen. And that's exactly what we want to talk to Hunter about. We want to talk to him to see what the relationship with his father and the business partners that his father said he never spoke to, yet we have uh, absolute evidence that he called in, that he visited them, visited them at restaurants. Congressman, we're going to have to wrap it up there. Yep. All right, Jody, thank you so Scott much. Scott Perry, thank you. you so much. Merry Christmas to you. God bless you. It's an honor to serve with you. Thank you for your service as chairman of the Freedom Caucus, and God bless your standing in the gap. Thank you for joining thank us. You, All right, friends, Matt Rosendale coming up next. Stay tuned. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. And welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Jody Heiss, sitting in today for Tony. Welcome aboard. All right, reports indicate that Democrats may finally have heard the message that Republicans in both chambers of Congress will not approve any more spending for Ukraine until first passing legislation to secure our southern border. And with the Christmas recess approaching, the Biden administration is possibly showing a willingness to resolve the stalemate by working on an agreement to tighten border security and reform the asylum process. Well, could we see a deal before next year? 
I kind of doubt it, but maybe so. Joining me now to discuss this is Congressman Matt Rosendale. He serves on the House Committee on Veterans Affairs, as well as the Committee on Natural Resources. He represents the 2nd District of Montana. Congressman Rosendale, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to see you. Merry Christmas, Jody. Merry Christmas to you as well. All right, we've just got a few minutes, so let's jump into this. First, hats off to both the House and the Senate Republicans for standing firm on this issue. No more funding for Ukraine until we secure the southern border. Do you think the Democrats are getting the message finally? I think that the Democrats have actually, a few of them have, have joined us, and we have to make sure that the uh, president understands it. I mean, I've taken it a step farther, Jody. I introduced legislation last Congress and, again, this Congress, Secure America's Borders First Act, to, to put into law, we don't send money to Ukraine until we have operational control and have secured our own southern border. So I, I think they're starting to get the message. Well, you know, one of the one of the ways that uh, uh, you and I both, I mean, many of us who serve there, you start figuring out that you're making progress based upon the turning po the talking points that the left is putting out. And, and they're coming out with all sorts of talking points uh, opposing any kind of deal, which that in itself means to me uh, there's some progress being made. Uh, so, look, we have reports that perhaps the White House is moving in your direction, uh, and that's great news. Do you think the extreme left, however, in the Democratic Party will allow President Biden to go as far as he needs to go in order to reach an agreement? No, I do not. Uh, and this is what everyone has to be very cognizant of and very careful of, uh, because we know that President Biden will make a lot of promises and uh, try to direct money to the southern border. But there's a very big difference between making promises, sending money to the southern border that would uh, merely be used for housing and uh, social support, social network for illegals, thereby exasperating the situation, uh, encouraging more people to come and, and think that that is going to be the tool that they're going to use uh, to coerce uh, the conservatives to uh, send more money to Ukraine. There's going to have to be a secure southern border before we will sign off for any funding, even consider any funding uh, going to Ukraine. And before that happens, we also have to see the mission, the goals that they plan to achieve in Ukraine and have a good accounting of what those dollars are going to be used for, none of which has been done to this date. Yeah, great point. I mean, there, there are multiple sides to this whole argument. There is the lack of a mission as you just brought up. There's the lack of our own border being secure. And what business do we have securing other borders of other countries when we refuse to secure our own border? But let me ask you this. There is also the, the, the argument on this whole thing that enough is enough. How much money, what, $113 billion that we've already given Ukraine? Uh, at what point is enough enough for our giving money to Ukraine. I'm sure there probably is some discussion about that, uh, about this among some of your colleagues. There is. And, and again, uh, I, I won't even begin to have the conversation until our southern border is secure, until we have operational control over it, until the border uh, wall system has been completed and the fiber optics in the ground and the camera systems and the roads that parallel uh, that wall are put into place and we start implementing 
the Remain in Mexico policy and, and, and absolutely enforce the uh, true purpose for the asylum uh, status that a lot of people are claiming. I won't, I won't even begin to have the conversation. And then the American people have to ask themselves, do you want to borrow more money from China and obligate us for that debt and then give it to Ukraine? That's a serious conversation that people have to have. So I'm just saying I won't even begin to have the conversation until our southern border is secure. So a uh, last question. How likely do you think an agreement can be reached? I mean, uh, before, before Christmas. Is this something do, that can happen before Christmas or after? I do not believe you will have an agreement reached before Christmas. I think that the Biden administration has dug in too hard on a, a pork-filled supplemental that will try to combine Israel funding, Ukraine funding, uh, disaster relief funding, all into one piece of legislation. And I personally do not think that you will have uh, Speaker Johnson ask the Republicans to fly back to Washington, D.C. Uh, to sign off on that. And I would hope that he wouldn't because I don't intend to. Yeah, and you know, I think really this puts each of you in a better position to just sit back. It, put, it really puts the pressure on the president and the Democrats at this point. And I, I think that you're right on that. And actually, I think at this point, it's probably best to wait until after Christmas. Congressman Matt Rosendale, thank you so much for joining us again on Washington Watch. Wishing you and your family a very Merry Christmas. Thank you for joining us. God bless you. Merry Christmas, Jody. Thank you, my friend. All right, stay tuned. Coming up after the break, the Supreme Court has announced just yesterday that they are going to hear uh, arguments. They're going to hear the case about chemical abortion pills. This is a big deal. ADF is defending that case, marching forward with it. And Eric Baptist with ADF will be joining me after the break. So don't go anywhere. Much more straight ahead. We'll be back right after this break. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. 
It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Jody Heiss, sitting in this afternoon for Tony, and welcome aboard. So glad to have you a part of the program today. Well, we here at the Family Research Council are about to begin another episode of our Stand on the Word Bible reading plan. It will get started with brand new time uh, coming in January, and I'm really excited to tell you about a new FRC resource. It's the Stand on the Word Journal. This journal comes complete with spaces for notes, a lot of thought-provoking questions, and more. And as we head into 2024, now is the perfect time for you to get your copy and to join us on Stand on the Word in the Bible Reading Plan. So for your generous tax-deductible year-end gift, we will send you a free copy of this new resource, and we would love to send that your way. So to uh, give today to FRC, or if you'd like to just get multiple copies of this new resource, you can simply text the word GIVE to 67742, or you can also go to the website TonyPerkins.com or FRC.org. So we hope you'll join us for this Bible reading plan coming up in January, and be sure to get your journal today. All right, as Tony mentioned yesterday, the Supreme Court announced that they will decide on restrictions for the abortion pill. They'll be doing that this term. This actually marks the first major case involving abortion since the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade last year. And this whole issue is coming after the Biden administration appealed a decision by the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals that restricted the distribution of chemical abortion pills and was critical of the lax oversight of the Food and Drug Administration for these dangerous pills. Well, joining me now to discuss this is Eric Baptist. He's a senior counsel at Alliance Defending Freedom, which is the organization representing the lawsuit against the FDA for its illegal approval of chemical abortion drugs that harm women and girls. Eric, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you for having me. I appreciate all your support. 
Well, listen, we appreciate you and the incredible work that uh, you and ADF do. All right, let's talk about this, Eric. This is a this is a major deal coming up. The Supreme Court is going to be weighing in uh, regarding this uh, abortion drug, Mifepristone. And, of course, this is coming after the Biden administration appealed the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals decision. If, if you can put yourself in the shoes of the Supreme Court, what what are they going to be focusing on uh, in this case? What are they looking at? They're looking at two things, and this is what the FDA asked them to look at. One was what we call in the legal world standing. Do our clients, now ADF represents four national medical associations and four individual doctors. Collectively, they've been treating and caring for women and girls who have been harmed by chemical abortion drugs. Now, the FDA takes the position that our clients don't have the right to bring such a case against the agency. We disagree. Two courts have agreed with us already, and they're asking the Supreme Court to say, no, doctors who treat victims of chemical abortion have no right to challenge an approval of a dangerous drug or even the deregulation of a dangerous drug. And that's probably going to be the focus of the other side's case. But they're also going to say that the FDA is essentially above the law and above reproach, that the FDA does not make any mistakes when it comes to uh, drug regulation. And that's simply false. We've seen that throughout the history of the FDA. But in particular, in this case, where it's so egregious what they did, where they cut corners, disregarded women's health, all in its zeal to push chemical abortion drugs across this country. So they're going to focus on the merits. Can a federal agency such as the FDA be held accountable by the courts? The answer is emphatically yes, and the Supreme Court has a long history of doing so. Well, those are two major issues that you mentioned, standing and then the the accountability of the FDA uh, in both of these. Yeah, if, uh, who who would have standing if not these individuals who have been hurt by the drug? I mean, what would possibly be the argument on the other side? Well, the other side says nobody has standing to challenge an, an unlawful action by the FDA. If anything, the drug manufacturer says only those who have their drugs approved and regulated by the FDA can sue the FDA for its actions. So in this case, the manufacturer of the abortion drug can sue the FDA over its actions, but nobody else. But they're the ones who simply profit from the FDA's approval and deregulation. So they have no motivation to challenge the FDA. That simply cannot be the case. And it is not the case, as two courts have already agreed with us, that because the FDA already devised a scheme where they recognize upwards of 5% of women will have to present themselves to emergency rooms and seek emergency services, that emergency room doctors are actually part of the plan uh, when it comes to chemical abortion and this regimen that the FDA approves. So our clients are especially entitled to bring a case, say, hey, you're bringing us into the fold of this regulation or and this drug approval, so we, we have every right to challenge it. Well, that's, uh, you know, just hearing you talk, Eric, just like amplifies the importance of this whole case to me in a whole new way. Those are extremely important issues, the precedents of which could have uh, ramifications that are far-reaching in so many ways. Now, let me let me ask you about this. The, the we all know the Biden administration has made some changes in recent years as it relates to the abortion pill, including uh, things like allowing the drug to be taken later on during a pregnancy, and uh, of course the mailing of the, of the drug directly to patients. But also that the, this drug can be prescribed by a medical professional rather than a doctor. All of these changes seem to be extremely dangerous to me. Uh, so, so talk to me about this. Uh, how, just how dangerous 
uh, are these changes uh, when we're talking about women's health? Yeah, and this is one of the things when we brought this lawsuit, we actually hope that no matter where you fall in the abortion spectrum, you would at least agree to these common sense safeguards for, for this drug regimen. And for those of you who don't know, and I didn't know before I started this lawsuit we, we, about this regimen, it's a two-drug regimen. The first drug it cuts off nutrition to the unborn baby, essentially ending its life. The second drug induces labor and delivery. And what was happening in abortion facilities across this country and what they're mailing out is for women upwards of 11 weeks pregnancy, if, if not longer, can take this drug now in this country. And that's, again, inducing labor and delivery. In any medical context outside of abortion, you would want to involve a doctor. You would want to have a pre-screening exam to ensure that you don't have any conditions that should preclude you from taking these drugs. But what the FDA did in its zeal to push chemical abortion drugs in this country, first took away the doctor. Now it's just any prescriber who's authorized by the state to write a prescription can write a prescription for this. They may not have gone to medical school even to actually give this out. That was the first thing the FDA did. The second thing they did was take away follow-up exams. So when a woman starts taking these drugs, there used to be two follow-up exams at day three and day 14 to ensure she has no complications and she's taking the drugs appropriately. The FDA removed that and resolved the abortionists. Essentially, the abortionists now can push these drugs out to the women, then push them out the door. And then who's going to have to clean up the mess and, and care for these women when they're harmed? It's our clients, the emergency room doctors across this country. And finally, what the Biden administration did most recently was authorize mail-order abortion. Now they say you don't even have to meet with a prescriber or a doctor or any other medical professional before taking these drugs. Again, they induce labor and delivery. You would want to know if a woman has a life-threatening ectopic pregnancy, if her gestational age of her baby is a lot farther along than she estimated, because that affects directly the health of the mother. The FDA disregarded that as well and wants to push these in all 50 states. That's inherently dangerous. And if anybody wants to promote women's health, they should want these safeguards coming back. And that's what the district court did. It's what the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals has done. And But that's what the FDA is disputing in front of the Supreme Court today. They don't want women to have these pre-screening exams and these follow-up care visits. That's simply egregious, dangerous, and, and immoral, frankly. Well, it really is. And the, the dangers in all of this, I mean, we all have heard of so many horrible outcomes of women taking these drugs and there they are at home or wherever and start having all sorts of complications. And, and many times it can be too late if those complications are serious enough at home and particularly if you're not under a doctor's care. So what about this whole issue when it comes to the lack of oversight? Uh, when drugs like this are, are sent through the mail, uh, doctors are pretty much sidelined. The relationship between the patient and the doctor has been removed. Uh, what, uh, what is this whole issue of oversight when it comes to situations like this and drugs being sent through the mail? Well, there is no oversight. There is no care and follow-up uh, help when it comes to this because they, they are allowed to mail the drugs and never speak to the woman again, to monitor her progress to make sure she's not having a life-threatening infection or remaining fetal parts in her third that could cause serious life-threatening complications. That's simply absolving them. And I think that's essentially what the problem is and why we're bringing this lawsuit is because what the FDA has done is utterly disregarded women's health to the detriment of, of their safety and well-being. Well, you know, it seems evident that this administration is so committed to their sacred cow of abortion that they are willing to do anything to continue pushing it, promoting it, 
and advancing it, even if it means to the detriment of women's health. And so I put this out to you very honestly, as one who served in Congress myself for uh, four terms and now looking back into this situation, is it fair to say that in this case, it appears at least as though they're chasing a political outcome and in so doing, uh, totally neglecting scientific judgment when it comes to approving drugs like this? You're absolutely correct. Since day one, when FDA received the application of this drug, even before then, the Clinton administration back in the 1990s put politics over women's health. And you've seen that with every decision where they've cut corners, uh, abused the law to try and twisted it, tried to get this drug approved, and then took actions that failed to meet a scientific threshold that even the courts have questioned these days. And I want to make sure I, I bring this point up, because you hear this a lot, and, and kind of why women take this through the mail without meeting with the doctors, because the lie that's been told by the Biden administration, by the FDA and others, that this is safer than Tylenol. That is simply false. Because the FDA's own label says upwards of 5% of women will end up in the emergency room if they take chemical abortion drugs. You don't see that on the Tylenol label. 5% of people who take Tylenol do not end up in the emergency room. So that is a simply false statement, and it's misleading women to taking this dangerous drug unsupervised, unmanaged in their own homes, in the dorm rooms. And that's why they're presenting themselves to America's emergency rooms today. Wow. Startling statistics there. So... In what way, when you say they've abused the law, twisted the law to get this drug approved, uh, what do you mean? I mean, give us an example of what twisting the law for the purpose of approving a drug looks like. Well, in this context, the FDA put it, used its fast-track approval authority to get this drug into the marketplace in the year 2000. And to do that, they had to call pregnancy an illness. I think we can all agree that pregnancy is not an illness, but that's exactly what the FDA had to call mifepristone and chemical abortion drug, or call how to justify the approval of mifepristone. They had to call pregnancy an illness. And that was step one of their abuse of the law. They followed that up with not having science to back it up. So another thing they've done over the years is study one thing, a, a regimen that's never been approved, and then approve a different regimen. So they've never studied in the 23-year history of this drug the actual approved regimen. They have studies with safety protocols such as ultrasounds. They're nowhere found on the label. So they have completely, utterly disregarded science and failed to explain themselves, which is, again, what Congress authorized them to do. They, when they authorized the FDA to be the nation's drug keeper, Congress gave specific instructions to the FDA of how to approve and deregulate drugs uh, in, in the future. And they disregarded the congressional directives. And that's why, again, we have prevailed in two courts, because the courts looked at what the FDA did and what the law required them to do. And they've seen FDA flagrantly violating that law and those regulations time and time again. So when you look at 5% of the women who take this drug are going to end up in the emergency room, possibly with life-threatening uh, consequences, will the court look at these negative health outcomes as they're coming to a court decision, do you think? I think the court should take into account, because it's one thing to say the FDA violated the law, but to, to what injury, to what extent, to what harm does that do? And you have to look at the harm that FDA has caused to women and girls across this country over the last two decades. So the court's going to take that into account. 
So what kind of time frame are we looking at here? What's the process? I know we have oral arguments, and uh, then where does it go from here? What, what kind of overall time frame for this case are we looking at? Well, the court has indicated to counsel of record that they, they intend to schedule oral argument in, in March of this coming year. So we're going to have an expedited briefing schedule. Things are going to move very quickly, and you can expect a decision by probably June of next year, um, in the middle of 2024, essentially. But things are going to move very quickly, and we look forward to telling the court exactly what the FDA has done over time to disregard women's health and um, in its zeal to push chemical abortion drugs. And so what kind of outcomes, uh, as we wrap this up, what kind of outcomes could the court potentially come up with? Well, we hope that the court agrees with the prior two court decisions here in our case and restore those common sense safeguards of having a screening exam to ensure a woman has no conditions that should prevent her from taking these drugs, to have those follow-up visits again, to make sure she's cared for throughout the process, because this is not just a one-day process, and not even it's just a two-week process. The FDA says it can be upwards of three, 30 days. You can be experiencing pain and complications at least from these drugs. So it's something that they need, that women in this country deserve, and FDA has not given women what they deserve. Well, Eric Baptist, Senior Counsel with Alliance Defending Freedom, I want to thank you so much for coming on the program today and keeping us up to speed on this an extremely important case. We will be keeping a pulse on it, and I imagine we'll be talking to you further as this goes along. Thank you for joining us on Washington Watch. Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to you as well. Take care. All righty. Okay, friends, that wraps up this edition of Washington Watch. We want to thank you so much for joining us today, and uh, we look forward to being back with you tomorrow. So keep the torch ablaze. God bless you. Have a good evening. We'll see you tomorrow right here on Washington Watch. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.